from the Pine Inn for the Fjord studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another magnificent mulching episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. You always hear me denigrate the nastiness of dyed wood mulch, but what works and looks nicer? On today's show, we'll explain how nature's finest mulch, southern pine straw, is becoming more available above the Mason-Dixon line. Plus, magical, mystical bees and your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and heroically heartfelt homogenicities. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you having the best-looking mulch on the block right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we are going to celebrate Earth Day with some charming new books for children that have just come out. We're also going to explain how finally you don't have to buy that crappy wood mulch anymore because you can get Southern Pine Straw, the mulch of choice. But first, your fabulous phone calls. 888-492-9444. Belinda, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Belinda. How great you, to be here. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous. All right. And where is Belinda Fabulous? I am in Redding, California, the very top of California. I've been there. I've been there. I, uh, I decided since I was so close when I was in Eureka, I would take the rest of the way up. Yep. Yeah. And um, beautiful country out there. Just amazing. All right. Well, what can we do for Belinda in far, far northern California? <laughs> I have a planter box in front of my house that faces north um, that I want to plant some of those low-growing roses, but I'm not sure if that would be appropriate for there. Uh, it gets very hot here in the summer, mm -hmm. sometimes several days over 100. And uh, so I wanted to know, I, I need a pop of red. Because mm -hmm. I have a Spanish-style house with a Spanish roof. Oh, that sounds great. Um, well, <laughs> no offense, but whose bright idea was it to face this thing north? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're right on the Sacramento River, so we didn't have much choice. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and so your winters, such as they are, in my experience, occur in July and August, right? That's when the freezing cold weather comes in. In July and August? Oh, my God. July in Eureka, <laughs> off of the Humboldt Bay, was the coldest winter I ever spent. But we're 150 miles inland from Eureka. Okay. We're at the top of the Sacramento Valley. Oh, wow. Um, how cold does it get in the winter? <laughs> uh, in the 50s. It, it can get oh. colder. Uh, 40s yeah, you're in the... You're breaking in, my heart. Night. Yeah, yeah. We're closer to Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, it took me three days Sorry. to find my car after the last snowstorm. Um, and and <laughs> how, how much sun does this area get? A lot. It does? A lot. It's one of the hottest places. No, no. Yeah. The, it's very hot this, in the summer. This one flower box. Or... Oh, it gets um, probably from 1 o'clock on in the summer. Mm -hmm. It's uh, full sun. Okay. Well, no, full sun would would start at sunrise. Um, okay. And Sorry. roses typically um, want morning sun, and then maybe even some shelter uh -huh. in the afternoon. So I'll I'll tell you what you are asking about, but then I may make a separate suggestion. 
Uh, that would be great. There is a, I don't know what you'd call it, a breed of roses, a type of rose called ground cover roses. And they do not grow okay. straight up. They are prostate. They go down low and they're used as ground covers where people will not be walking. Um, very disease resistant, um, incredibly floricious for whatever other word. They put out the roses like nobody's business. If you deadhead these roses after the flowers fade, you may end up mm -hmm. the season having seen thousands of individual okay. roses. I used to do a trick on my, because I have them, uh, the, the brand name that I know of is Flower Carpet. And these are, okay. these are ground cover roses. And I used to do this trick where I would just cut a single branch and it'll have 50 or 100 roses on it. So very productive, wow. very pretty, uh, very disease resistant. And uh, they're about as tough as roses get. If they, okay. if they don't thrive there because of the late sun, I would also mm -hmm. suggest, well, you say it gets a lot of sun anyway. Um, does it have to be roses? I mean, there's lots of red flowers No, out there. no, I just want, I would like a red flower. I've mm -hmm. tried geraniums, and I've tried dahlias. Mm -hmm. okay. They haven't done so great. Okay. Um, I guess the uh, um, rooster... Uh, oh, geez, there is a, a plant whose name is escaping me. Um, coxcomb. Um, okay. That has these incredibly vibrant flower tops, and they come in, okay. in red as well as other colors. There are also flower carpet roses in different colors. And okay. now, oh, I just had a good thought. Have you ever heard of the plant called amaranth? Um as in wheat? Well, no. close. Amaranth, I, I guess not. amaranth okay. is used as a grain. Uh, probably okay. closer yeah. to corn, although it's not related to either of those. Um, but this is an amazing plant, Native American, uh, used by the Native Americans. And when it first comes up from seed, it's called St. Joseph's Coat. Very vibrant oh. colors. And very good as a salad green at that stage. But over the course of oh. the summer, it will grow and develop this magnificent seed head, which also you know, comes in different colors, so you want to make sure you get a good red. Um, but nice, right. tall plant, very dramatic, incredibly useful, bulletproof. And at, as a matter of fact, I'll even recommend that if you have access to an heirloom seed catalog or stores, uh, mm -hmm. there's, a, yep. a, there's a type of amaranth called elephant's head, where the top okay. of the plant, um, the colorful part, is huge and blocky, and almost all of them have a snout coming out. And so pe <laughs> people who don't know the name of the plant will go, that looks like an elephant. So there's a couple. that out. And at the end of the uh, season, uh, there will be hundreds, maybe thousands, of little black seeds in that flowering seed head. Take those and shake mm -hmm. them off onto like sheets of newspaper or butcher paper or something, uh, let them dry, and then roll them on a hot plate and they will pop like popcorn. And that's how you eat oh, the seeds. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. So that's amaranth, A-M-A-R-A-N-T-H. Yep. All right. I got it. Okay. I got it. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. My pleasure, Belinda, you take care. You too, bye-bye. Larry, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you, Larry. Where are you, man? I'm in uh, Texarkana, which is really a twin city uh, divided by the state line between Arkansas and Texas. Right. Um, yeah, I ha we haven't heard from anybody in Texarkana in quite a while, but they were one of the first stations out there to pick up the show. 
great. Yeah, no, it's it's a pleasure to hear from you. What can we do you for, sir? Well, on April the 1st, you uh, had a caller who discussed chiggers in uh, New Jersey. Right. And I was intrigued because uh, I didn't know they ranged that far north. Yeah, they um, and uh, they can show up anywhere, apparently. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I went to bed crying many nights when I was a little boy because I was eating up by them. Right. And, uh, and on our uh, little bitty farm, go ahead. I was going to say, did you call them chiggers or did you call them red bugs or itch mites or what was your comment? Well, now, the, we called them chiggers. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the uh, generation before me called them red bugs. Yeah, I've never had the pleasure uh, myself. but uh, I, And I finally remembered from that phone call there was an author for the New Yorker I was uh, thinking of. And his name was Calvin Trillin. And when he first got to Paris and the top of the Eiffel Tower, all he could think about was, they can't get me up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a long way to go. So what can we do for you, sir? Well, I wanted to say that uh, our little bitty farm was like a uh, convention uh, center for chiggers until... Uh, there's a big flood on Red River in 1990, and it scattered out uh, fire ants. And I know that uh, correlation uh, does not necessarily imply causation, but once once the uh, fire ants were established on our place, chiggers disappeared. I think that's a pretty good trade-off because you can always try and avoid a fire ant mound. Um, but chiggers, you, yeah, you but, can see those. Yeah, chiggers are invisible. Did you see the fire ants during the flood? Because it's my understanding that they make a kind of a living raft, and thousands of them are holding. Exactly. Did you see? I it? did, and they do. Oh, yes, that's amazing. They'd yeah. be uh, as much as three feet across. That's whoa! But that had to be scary. Oh yes. You wouldn't want to rush up, brush up against that when you were swimming. Yeah, fire ants. No. Once they're established, um, I mean, then you have fire ants, which have a vicious sting, but they will destroy any other insect colonies um, that are close to the surface or underground. Uh, believe it or not, one of the best preventions for termites, and in Texas you have several species of termites, uh, but fire ants will invade their colonies and eat every single termite. That's one of their favorite foods. Really? Yeah. Well, more power to them. Yeah. So the cure for chiggers, and here we got it straight from the horse's mouth in Texas, is to invite fire ants onto your property. Um, I, I, yes, I, if anybody wants any, I'll send them. <laughs> that would be a weird kind of ant farm, Larry. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you. That's a great. That's a great story. And like I said, I would trade uh, fire ants for chiggers any day. Oh yes, we're very pleased. Yeah. To to be rid of the chiggers. Yeah. And uh, just watch out for those mounds. Oh yes. All right, Larry. Well, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Well, it's it's wonderful to talk to you. I really enjoy your show. Well, thank you, sir. You uh, you have a good season this year. Okay. Well, great. I appreciate it. All right. Um, take care and uh, bye for now. You too, and thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, they saw it first in Southeast PA, and it's spreading further every day. It's doing our crops and trees a lot of harm. It's an insect species that's not native, reproducing at a very high rate of speed, and folks, that's causing some alarm. Now, once you dig what I have dug, you'll be hit to this invasive bug, and friend, you'll want to help to stop it spread. And when you see that little critter gonna take a swing like a home run hitter and smash that spotted lantern fly dead. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a fly swatter, I'm gonna chase her all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. 
Then fall from the eggs on a wall tree trunk and scrape them off into an alcohol dunk and surely that will cause them to expire. When the nymphs hatch from the eggs in spring, wrap your trees with a sticky tape ring, but save the birds by covering with chicken wire. Now the tree of heaven is their preferred host, yeah, that's the tree it likes the most. So if you got one in your yard, chop it down. Don't transport firewood, brush or debris, cause they'll hide in there and you'll never see them. Hitch a ride with you to the very next town. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase ya all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. So die, 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 spotted lantern fly. Yeah. When you see me coming, you'll know Don't the you reason know why. Yeah. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase ya all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. So die, 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 spotted lantern fly. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody not to jump the gun just because you're having some unseasonably warm nights. Don't plant summer crops like tomatoes and peppers until you get close to your last average frost date and nights are predicted to be in the 50s or above for the next 10 nights. But don't go checking your extended forecast just yet because we'll be right back with magical, mystical bees and more of your mystical phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the best mulch, the nicest mulch, the prettiest mulch comes from down south. But a lot of people are moving it north so that you can have true pine straw and not nasty wood mulch in your landscape. All right, it is my great pleasure to introduce our special guest, Tasha Schreiner, who has authored in the matter of one year um, three wonderful books. So this is how we're going to kind of celebrate Earth Day a few days late. It's Earth Weekend, okay? And uh, Tasha's books are, I believe, geared to help people, uh, to help children especially, understand gardening and to be creative in their own gardening way. And we'll talk about all three of them. Um, but first, I have to say, welcome to the show, Tosh. Thank you so much for having me here, Mike. Well, thank you for being had, as you'll find out. <laughs> now, the big book that you are, you know, promoting, so to speak, is your book about the 
Magical Mystical Bees, which is, you know, just, just for the title alone, is absolutely wonderful. Um, but the first thing I notice is it's printed backwards. It is. It's, it's, it, it, it's like a, a Jewish prayer book. You, you start from the back and you go towards the front. And uh, we'll have pictures up. Um, Jake will take pictures from the books themselves. But it is a sad freaking story, girl. So, so it, it, there, there is a moment where the story is really sad. I was crying. I was crying real tears. But I feel like that uh, the beauty of children's books is it can bring complex uh, issues down to a simplified version. And I just wanted to give people a moment to pause with what could be our reality. But it doesn't stay sad. You, uh, <laughs> did you turn to the next page? Yes, I did. So I should explain what we're talking about. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading this is this is not a Disney children's book. This is a Hans Christian Andersen or <laughs> Brothers Grimm um, children's book. And as you know, fairy tales were not meant to entertain children. They were meant to frighten them into behaving and you know, not going into a witch's gingerbread house and things like that. Um, and I thought that that was really where you were coming from. I mean, you're aiming for a very young audience, but um, it's spoiler alert, um, it begins in a world where there are no more bees, where they've all been eliminated. And of course, without bees, there aren't flowers. And I guess it's the grandmother trying to explain to the child what the world was like when there was color and fruit and everything like that. Yeah, um, I the the motivation for this book was my grandmother and my daughter. Um, you know, grandparents pass on legacy to us and stories. And after we lost my grandmother, it really got me thinking: what what narrative, what story? am I going to pass on to my daughter, to pass on to her grandchildren? So um, in this hypothetical future, the grandmother in the book is, you know, a, a child now, uh, my daughter's age, um, in the future. And the scenario of what happens if we don't steward everything that we've been given. Um, and of course, we know that we have power to change that ending. And, and that's really what this book is about. That's why the book was written backwards. Um, Mike, can I open to the page that you're referring to? Sure, sure. Um, and I'll explain that when you get to the quote end, which is also the beginning, then you read it forward backward and we're back in a world with bees and flowers and fruits. And and that's exactly it. My aim here um, in, in reading it backwards uh, was to make people think and to realize that we all have power in our actions. Um, you know, the, the book isn't meant to be a sad story because it, it ends with an invitation to the reader, to children and to families, um, individuals, to do our part to change the end of the story. So, so it is a cautionary tale. Yes, that's just it. I, I feel like it ends on a very hopeful note. I, I didn't mean to say scared children. If anything, I want to scare the adults to, to help uh, hand a better future down to our, to well, our children. Well, theoretically, with a book, what would you say the age range of the book is? The, the age range is definitely early elementary school, but um, my hope in this is that it would gather people. You know that it would gather families to start discussing uh, the, the plate of the bees and the plate of the pollinators and, and ways that we can help. The, the back of the book is filled with um, simple ways that we can all work together to help create refuge and um, food for the bees. Because I can see a parent or a teacher reading this to children. And of course, the children, real, they're so much smarter than we are. Um, they realize there's bees, there's flowers, there's watermelons, there's apples out there. Um, but hopefully the adult reading this is going, 
man, I better straighten up and fly right, <laughs> you know, because uh, I don't want this to go from non-fiction uh, to non-fiction. Yeah, and, and that's just it. I think, you know, any of us who are involved with our gardens realize that we're really at a crux where our actions matter. And, um, yeah, I, I hope that the book can gather families around the issue and schools around the issue and communities. Um, I, another reason I wrote it is because I feel like many children are afraid of bees. And, um, you know, that that's natural. They Some of them sting, and bees have gotten a bad rap. And uh, we experienced that in my own family. My children would panic and run mm -hmm. away from bees. So we just spent time... Um, you know, taking deep breaths when the bees were around us and talking about uh, everything that bees do for us. So that's my hope in the book is that it will, you know, inspire children to be more curious about bees and to realize that the magic that they actually provide us all with. Now, I have to admit that I am a huge advocate of native bees. And I felt we were left out of this book. There you were did. all honeybees in there. There were no bumblebees or sweat bees or squash bees or blue-headed bees or any of the thousands of native bees that do a lot of pollinating work. So I don't know what your plans are, but you have at least one more book to write. Awful, yes. The bees in my backyard. Yeah, and, and, and that's a fair take. Um, in, in Word, it does represent all of the bees, and, and that was very intentional because I realized we have over 4,000 species of bees right here in the U.S. And, it's amazing. And my favorite bees are actually the, the solitary bees, not the, not the honeybees. Right. Um, but, but you are right. In illustration, I guess the honeybees got a little bit more. Yeah, they got, <laughs> they got all the play, honey. Oh, was that a pun? I'm not sure. Uh, I have to tell you, my favorite bee um, is a bee that lives in the walls of my home. Uh, we didn't realize what was happening uh, when we built the additions onto our house. We used a siding called T111, which is a wooden substance. I, I just hate vinyl siding. And it has all these little holes up and down. There's an indent, and then there's a panel out. And it has all these little holes uh, for ventilation and to help it expand and contract. And one day, I, I go out, and uh, my wife says, oh, God, we have termites. And I go, why do you say that? She said, I saw um, these little creatures going into the holes in our walls. And I go, no, that's not how termites work. And a month later, all the little holes were patched up with mud. A month after that, all the mud had been pushed out, and my garden was just covered with these tiny little golden bees with translucent golden wings. And they have returned every year, year after year. That's and I can just, I could just sit out there and look at them for hours. All right. Um, over this past year, you've also written two other books. I know that the magical mystery tour bees is the, is, <laughs> is the big one. I think you owe the Beatles like $5 a book or something like that. Um, and one of them is about the life of a sunflower seed. It is. Called Sunny, and it's from the time that Sunny develops little arms and legs, which yeah, kind of creepy. Um, I like my seeds not to move unless I'm handling them. And Sunny turns into a sunflower, and then the sunflower, quote, dies, but not before it's produced like 100 more sunnies, and then the book starts over again. And that's very sweet. I think that's a perfect book to uh, read to children so that they understand the process of seed to plant to seed. But I'm going to take a cue from my old colleague, Terry Gross, who would almost always ask an author she liked to read something on the show. And the third book you have is about houseplants and how you personally learn from them. Um, and it's, it's a very short book in terms of, of reading. So if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to read uh, My Houseplants, 
whisper wisdom. <laughs> I'm kind of becoming that crazy plant lady. <laughs> um, but, but I'm not alone. And this book was inspired by all of the people throughout 2020 when we were stuck in our homes uh, that plants kind of helped keep people sane. Um, if you didn't have house plants, you'd be talking to the rare spider that wandered in, right? <laughs> um, so my house plants whisper wisdom. All my best friends are houseplants. They're always here for me. They whisper words of wisdom, and I know where they'll always be. Hang in there, boo. We're here for you. Alleluia. We will survive. Because friends like you help us thrive. Even when things really suck. Can I interrupt there and say that's short for succulent? Yes. If you look at the pictures <laughs> on the page, you know. She's a very nice lady. <laughs> we stick together and we make our own luck. Life is tough, but so are you. With patience and prayer, we'll make it through. We may all be different shapes and sizes. We may grow at a different rate. But when we stop comparing, it's all cause to celebrate. You have to bloom where you are planted. Seek the light and share your gift. There's always a day to brighten. There's always a spirit to lift. You grow, girl. We believe in you. <laughs> We're, we'll always be rooting you on. Thank you for helping us grow. Thank you for helping me grow. So yeah, that, that book, um, it was really written for a good friend of mine uh, who took a lot of comfort in her house plans during 2020, as I know so many people did. <laughs> Well, and it's the great unifier of um, people who listen to or watch this show or um, dive into the podcast. Anybody can have houseplants. You may not have an outdoor garden right now. Um, you may be in the kind of shape where you can't care for an outdoor garden right now. Um, but obviously, fill your house with houseplants. And I agree with you, if we pay attention and we're willing to learn, uh, there's a lot to learn from our houseplants. Of course. <laughs> okay, so Tosh, um, how do people encounter your books? Uh, Are they in stores? Are they on that website named after a great river? Are they <laughs> available only through you? <laughs> Uh, so they, they are on the Great River website. Um, you can also find them at our local bookstore, Let's Play Books. Um, you can also find them on my website, which is uh, creativekindnessco.com. Okay. So it's the Creative Kindness Company, but just CO. It's actually Coalition, but we okay. CO'd it for short. <laughs> okay. And Creative Kindness, and that's where you're coming from. It is, yeah. Um, all of the books that I'm putting out there, I, I hope to inspire creativity and kindness in children. And so, um, you know, read the books, look at the pretty pictures, then the kids sit down and make their own book. Yeah. How old were you when you wrote your first book? Um, the first one that I remember was second grade, and, okay. and that was actually about a spider. So. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> My daughter, Amanda, I think it was around the, sec of the second grade that she wrote and illustrated her own book called The Haunted Hot Dog. Oh, I love it. Oh, I have it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I always thought we could just print it. Yeah. It would be a great um, children's book. So, but your books are fabulous. Once again, they are Sunny, The Story of a Sunflower. The, I got it upside. I can never tell which side is up with this book here. The Magical Mythical Bees. Um, hopefully that won't actually come to pass. Right. <laughs> and My House Plants Whisper Wisdom. And once again, the website? Uh, creativekindnessco.com. Okay. <laughs> Tasha Schreiner, um, thank you so much uh, for helping us celebrate Earth Day. Thank you. Um, for helping to start with the kids, because that's where all good things come out of. And uh, you owe me a book on native bees. Okay, deal. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody who wants to repair or replace a cool season lawn like fescue or bluegrass that the only sure way to succeed in spring is with sod. Otherwise, unfortunately, you really have to wait until mid-August to spread seed successfully. But don't go blaming me for telling you the truth just yet because we'll be right back with the difference between pine straw and pine needles and more of your piney phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. You don't have to buy that crappy wood mulch anymore because you can get southern pine straw, the mulch of choice. In the meantime, we're going to put a couple more of your fabulous phone calls in the bag at 888-492-9444. Amy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Amy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I am just, oh, no, I knocked Ducky's mask off. Oh, man. Uh, come on, Ducky. Get that mask back on. We're not, we're not out of this yet. Uh, whoa, where uh -oh. is, no, oh, we're good, we're good. Ducky's had a hard day. Uh, <laughs> where is Amy? Oh, no. I'm in Mansfield, Georgia. Okay, Mansfield, what part of Georgia? Um, that's about 30 miles east of Atlanta. It's a really small town, okay. um, kind of in a rural area. Okay, all right, what can we do for you? Um, so I had a question for you about peonies. Yeah. They're one of my favorite flowers. Mm -hmm. I love them, but I'm kind of outside of the growing zone for them. So I wondered if there was any kind of tip or trick to get them to grow well here. Mm. So it's very hot and humid here, and the winters are very mild. Yeah. Uh, see, because I inherited peonies. I moved into the house I live in 35 years ago. And they're right next to the road wow. and get all of the rock salt and everything else. And they bloom beautifully every year. Hmm. But let's let's see. Lucky what, you. Well, no, no. It takes no skill to grow, grow a peony. If you, you looked around at my garden all in bloom this spring, you'd go, wow, you're really good at this. And I'd go, no, they just like being <laughs> here. You know, I think we can do this. Um, but I would not plant them in okay. the. I would not plant them in the ground. I think we're going to have to containerize oh. them. Now, do you? <laughs> and stay with me. This this question is going to make sense. Uh, do you have a beer fridge okay. or any kind of extra fridge in the house? Um, I do. I have a fridge in the garage. Okay, and that's your beer fridge, right? Yeah. There you go. Um, well, this, Gatorade for yard work, really. Yep, I hear that. Um, all right. Uh, I think we're good. Now, you could do this one of two ways. Uh, but obviously, first, you're going to buy some peony roots. And if mm -hmm. you buy them locally in Georgia, they should have been pre-chilled. So their chilling requirement okay. for this year should be taken care of. So get a nice container. Uh, organic potting soil and, you know, three quarters potting soil, one quarter compost. And again, plant them in the pot this year. And then okay. when um, my peonies really don't die down completely until, um, until pretty late in the game, like November. So hmm. when, when that happens, you know, hopefully the leaves will turn brown naturally and you'll see what's going on. Then you can bring it inside 
And if the fridge is big enough, I would recommend putting the whole container in. Um, if it's really? if it's not, you can lift the peony roots, uh, pack them in peat moss, more potting soil, uh, wrapped up newspaper, whatever you need to, and put it in the fridge and leave it in the fridge until, uh, in your area, maybe February. That should be enough chilling time. Um, but so one, from November-ish to February? Yeah, that would, be, that would be the minimum, about four months. So, but one thing that's okay. important is there can't be any fruit in that fridge. Because uh, oh, fruits, okay. fruits give off ethylene gas. Fruits give off ethylene gas, and that can cause premature sprouting, which will screw up the whole uh, 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 schedule of the plant. Okay. So, but that's a pretty easy requirement okay. to meet. And then, you know, just pay attention. I mean, if all the leaves have turned brown by the end of October, perfect timing. Um, and again, mine emerged, mine started emerging, I guess, like early April. So maybe we wait till March to put them out and try to keep them to their cycle uh, that they would have in the north. But uh, this is just simple forcing. Um, and as long as, you give, mm -hmm. as long as you give the roots that chill and that time off, because, you know, it, it, it's even a herbaceous perennial. It's going to die back to the ground anyway. And I mm -hmm. think you'll be able to do this pretty easily. Um, so can I ask a quick question about that? Sure. If, if I can't fit the entire pot in the fridge, mm -hmm. what would you suggest I do? Uh, take the roots out. And then what size pot, I'm sorry, what size pot do you think I should put them in? Well, you know, the bigger the better because this, uh, you know, it's going to grow in size every year. The roots will become bigger. Um, the more flower shoots will come out of it. Um, and if you're going to buy this locally, you want to ask that it ha has it been pre-chilled. And uh, you also mm -hmm. uh, get a recommendation uh, for pot size. Uh, but the bigger, the better. And okay. if you got, and if you go large, so to speak, go really large, well, then don't even think about putting the whole pot in the fridge. Just wrap the thing up in newspaper, right. put it in meat, uh, meat moss. Ooh, that's an ugly image. Put it in <laughs> peat moss that's been lightly moistened, and uh, you know check on it every once in a while. It should it should be fine. Okay, all right, that sounds good. All right, well, good luck to you, and uh, I hope I can get that image of meat moss out of my mind. Where'd that come from? <laughs> all right, all you right, take thanks, care, Mike. I appreciate your help. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. It is inevitable, cats and kittens. Yes, it is time once again for the question of the week, which we're calling pine needles, pine straw, and pine fines. Karen in Joppa, Maryland writes, first to thank you. You and your show are the reasons I started gardening over a decade ago. Thank you for bringing such joy into my life. I would never have tried it without the knowledge and wisdom you shared. Keep going, Karen. Oh, no. Okay. Now, about three years ago, a friend of mine from Media PA shared several bags of pine needles with me. At first, I was excited to use the pine straw as mulch. But then I thought, what if it's hosting an invasive species, such as the spotted lanternfly? What if lanternfly eggs are in those bags? I could be responsible for introducing this horrible creature to Maryland. So I left the needles untouched in yard waste paper bags on our back porch. But I couldn't throw them away. I mean, pine straw is so useful. Since three long years have passed with those untouched bags sitting out through the seasons, are they now safe? Can I finally use the pine straw without loosing an evil invasive species into my neighborhood? Or can lanternfly eggs stay dormant? for longer than three winters. 
Well, Karen, I'm afraid you would not have had the dubious honor of such an introduction, even if there were egg cases in those bags, as this invasive Asian plant hopper is already in Maryland, specifically Cecil and Harford counties, which are under quarantine, quarantine, quarantine. You say one, I say the other, like most of Eastern PA is. And I doubt that your bags harbored any eggs, as lanternflies lay their egg masses on large solid objects, like trees, firewood, vehicles, and the kind of decorative stone they originally used to enter the country illegally. And after three years, I suspect that at least half of your pine needles have become a compost-like material called pine fines which are a great soil amendment sold in bags, mostly in the D.C. area and south. However, in a subsequent email exchange, you said that you felt the terms pine straw and pine needles were interchangeable. They are not. In a highly informative online article that we will link up with in the written version of this question of the week, Scott Satterfield of Four Seasons Pine Straw in Ackworth, Georgia, explains that the pine straw that is the mulch of choice in the South is very different than the pine needles that decorate your living room floor after Christmas. Those well-named needles are what, a couple inches long at best? And if they came from a blue spruce or similar tree, they are sharp. Southern short needle straw from loblolly pines averages four to six inches in length while long needle straw can be seven to nine inches in length if it comes from the slash pine tree, or a whopping seven to 16 inches if it comes from the southern longleaf pine. And while you could say that they are technically pine needles, the individual pieces of straw are as large or larger than the material found in a bay of straw or hay which may be why pine straw also comes in bales. Straw from the southern longleaf pine is clearly the most desirable, as it is thicker and more durable than the other types and has a beautiful reddish color, especially in the spring and fall. I should know, as I have been the happy recipient of several bales every spring from one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Bill Strzok, who has been making true southern pine straw available to us northerners for several years. I spoke to him yesterday as he was heading home from the upper west side of Manhattan, where he had delivered 200 bales of long leaf pine straw to a neighborhood co-op whose green space is now the envy of all. When last we spoke, his fledgling business was called Mid-Atlantic Pine Straw, and he offered free delivery inside the greater Philadelphia area with the purchase of a minimum number of bales. He also shares a retail location with Maxwell's Hardware in Downingtown, PA, where you can grab and go, as long as you pay for it, that is. When I asked him what's new, he happily answered, New England Pine Straw Mulch, a new business based in the town of Rutland, Massachusetts. When I explained the invasive pest impetus for my call, he said, that's an excellent question. We go to great lengths to ensure that our bales are clean and safe. Pine straw drops naturally from the trees in the fall, is collected sustainably by hand, and then baled in South Carolina, where every batch is inspected for invasives by Clemson University before it leaves the state. They're mostly looking for hitchhiking fire ants, but they are very thorough in their inspection. I love this. Many of you know that I despise the awful trend of mulching with chipped up pallets from China, spray painted the color of an abandoned Burger King. But there weren't many alternatives in the North besides shredded fall leaves and compost. Now, thanks to John and his lovely wife, Catherine, and an increasing number of other people and companies making what I call nature's finest mulch more available, we may finally see the end of wood mulch volcano mulching. Well, I can dream, can't I?
Well, that sure was some interesting information about my favorite good-looking garden mulch now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website to read it over at your leisure or your leisure with lots more pine straw info. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to sabotage my straw if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at our brand new number, 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. What do you want, eggs in your beer? Oh, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he saw an episode of The Twilight Zone about a ventriloquist dummy and never watched TV again. Ken Queter plays our theme music. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins, she wants to take our temperature down at the shore, but the water's too cold. Zach the Taquisneski, formerly known as one of Fred McMurray's My Three Sons, is in the house, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, uh, and many more, too expensive to mention. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Our beloved CEO and not our executive producer, Tim Fallon, has still not been seen anywhere near the building, leading to the rumor that he is in Hollywood, auditioning for the role of Herman in a remake of The Monsters. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I used to look like any monster, but then I lost my hair and looked more like Howie Mandel on an especially bad day. But bad hair or no hair, I will be back to Howl at the Moon and see you again next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com.